Hello and welcome to episode 176 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I'm Alana Higgs and I'm your host this week and joining me, as it's the middle of Tales Month, we've got two of the biggest Tales fans on RPG Fan with me, uh, starting with Steph Sabidlo. Hello. Oh god, I got nothing creative on that. <laughs> it's fine. You can take my place. Steph von Faber. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's go. Let's do with that. Uh, and Mike Salosi. <laughs> hey, yep, it's me again. Of the knights. Sure. I, I and don't remember what they're called in this game, though. It's like I think they're just literally. I, no, I, I, it's just the knights, and I'm uh, Mike Salosi <laughs> of Guild uh, ah. Retro Encounter. Oh, <laughs> oh no! You, you stole my line. I did. <laughs> you did. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just like I'm just like Rob Fenner from two episodes ago. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. and and Alana von Hester. I don't oh, know what this tells last name is. Oh, Cedas or whatever it oh, is. Oh wow, you knew it. <laughs> you know I know Estelle. Estelle is my soulmate. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's get going. Um, so if anyone hasn't guessed, or if anyone hasn't been listening to Retro Encounter for the last couple of weeks, which is bad, you should have been. Um, we have been we're right in the middle of a month of Tales episodes. We did one episode a couple of weeks ago on our favorite Tales of games, and last week we had an episode on action battle systems. Uh, in which so Tales the, featured heavily. Yep. Tales features heavily, which is a good thing because Tales does have some of the best battle systems ever. Um, it's probably one of the biggest pioneers in like you know, uh, it's the most gung ho about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, for the next two weeks. We're revisiting the Tales of series, and for the first time since 2017, when we covered Tales of the Abyss, we are visiting Tales of Asperia, which is the 2008-2009 tenth title in the Tales of series. I am so excited to play this because it's just recently come out on all modern consoles, and having a blast, really. So, yeah, I can't believe it's been two years since we've done a Tales of episode, and I'm always surprised that they don't feature more in Retro Encounter, but it's good for variety. And, and hey, I blame Mike. <laughs> well, okay. Technically, it is my fault. But uh, two quick points. Uh, this is the same crew that we assembled for Tales of the Abyss uh, in twenty six in 2017, so that's pretty cool. And also, I mean, we only do between, like, 12 and 15 games a year for game journals, so th th there's a lot of video games. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't mind doing more Tales myself, but... Uh, uh, I don't know, never say never, but I think we picked a really good one for this month because uh, Tales of Vesperia might be my favorite in this series. Like, I mean, replaying it for this, I'm just, I'm just liking, I'm remembering more and more finer details that I, that sort of had left my brain and, um, and, and sort of liking it more and more. It's like, oh yeah, I loved this. Oh yeah, I loved this. Oh yeah, this is like the best Tales game. So mm -hmm. it's, even though it, uh, spoiler alert, it did not win our, um, Tales of Game, our favorite Tales sort of mini competition two weeks ago it was I, I think it was the one we liked second best though and i think that's yeah, yeah it, it finished yeah. strong but not number one but uh vesperia is excellent i think the timing was really good for the remake because it's one that a lot of people remember fondly uh tales super fans are probably real excited about getting to that ps3 ex formerly exclusive content and it's been long enough that i'm sure people that played it in uh around the release window are excited to replay it yeah, I mean, there's been a really good buzz about this release, which is really nice, because Tales of Games don't tend to get a lot of fanfare, but Vesperia seems to have kind of brought everyone 
out of their corner and lots of people are trying the game for the first time because it was only on 360 in the West. And then you've got everybody who loved it the first time and is going back to it the second time and having all this new stuff thrown at them and are thinking, oh, wow, no, this is really good. And it is really nice to see because, say, Tales of is... It kind of reached a point where it was sitting in a formula. A kind of Asperia, to me, is the point where the Tales series started to branch out afterwards. So up until, I think we discussed this the other week, um, up until Vesperia, maybe Graces, there were two different studios that worked on these games. This is a Team Symphonia game. And then Graces was a Team Destiny game and Tales of Destiny as well, obviously. But then after that, Exilia kind of joined the two teams together, the two artists, everything. And since then, it's never really found its footing completely. So Vesperia is almost like the end of an era, I suppose, to be really cliche. So yeah, it feels like the sort of last uh the last hurrah for the tp combo kind of tales action mm-hmm. that's fair yeah yeah and, uh, it, and, and it's, it's a good version of that but still i um, i'm i'm glad that tales has basically evolved beyond that which we've discussed on multiple podcasts by now <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least you know if we're retreading anything on that <laughs> oh it's fine i mean i mean uh we're three of the people that were on the episodes two weeks, uh, two weeks ago and two years ago, so I'm I'm sure we'll regurgitate some of our opinions and information. But we're being true to ourselves, and that's what's most important. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Team Abyss are back. Um, but yeah, let's dive straight into it. I mean, I was going to ask, because normally we start off by asking what our history is with the series and that, but we've already covered that. So <laughs> I guess I kind of wanted to ask... What were people looking forward to, Mike, when revisiting <laughs> I think this? This is like the last time a protagonist in a, in a Tales game was ever older than me when it came out. Right? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Now that I'm over 30, that is never happening ever again. You fall, you, yeah, but you fall into the old man category now, as proven by... <laughs> yeah, it's true. Raven. And I, I always... Oh, God, I'm, I'm probably not, not far from the age of Clarth or something. <laughs> Clarth is 28. <laughs> oh, God, I'm older oh, no. than Clarth. <laughs> You're older than Fantasia's old I'm, man. Okay, I'm officially the Osan of the group. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> I remember looking at him too. I was like, wow, that's so old. Or like, that's so mature. Yeah. And Clarth is anything, if anything, he's in the more childish half of the cast of Fantasia. But uh, and I, but uh, whatever, I'm, I'm going to embrace this. I love um, sarcastic old man characters. So I'm just going to embrace that phase of my life now. Um, but... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do you like deserts and bat flipping? Oh boy, neither. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Maybe anyway. I'll, you know what I I do like um just hanging out and being with the group and um and knives. So I'll be the repeat of the team. Okay, that's that's fair because it's a fair comparison. But I, a- I really like the the discussion we got into. It's that yeah, you're playing as repeat, I guess, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like no, this is actually a journey about a dog leading a group of strangers through the world. <laughs> I do love that. So that's an addition for the... Heroically pee everywhere he possibly could. Yep. That's an addition for the uh, definitive edition in the PS3 version that you could make a special flag for everybody and where you can change who you control, but you couldn't control repeat in the Xbox 360 version. One of the biggest disappointments of that 360 version was exactly that. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And the best thing about repeat is when he climbs ladders because he full on like backflips down them and like what crawl. really it's so cool i haven't seen that yet <laughs> oh my god no have a go if you get the chance to make the special flag s do it but okay. 
let's start from the beginning because we've got a lot to get through. We are covering the whole of Act 1 and up to Act 2 just before an area called Mount Temza. So I'm sure that's familiar to lots of fans. Lots of stuff happens in the middle of that. So I want to go in and kind of do the same thing we did with Abyss. So we kind of focused on characters quite a lot. And I think that's a good place to start because the first part of Vesperia, although it has a plot, it's a pretty humble beginning. It starts off with Yuri Lowell, our ex-knight protagonist, bad boy of the Tales series, flipping out of his fan window favorite. with his dog. Fan favorite is exactly... An understatement at this point, almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, but... I, I don't remember which one of you said it, but in... But didn't you say that during the Tales character polls, which they hold every year, uh, Yuri was getting was winning them so often they retired him? Yep. Yeah, he did. They did. I, I think that's awful, man. For a man setting the gold standard, it's a shame what actually came after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he like, really stands out now. <laughs> Asbel's nice, but he's dumb as a brick. <laughs> Asbel, um... He's, he, well, I mean, even, I mean, uh, excuse me, Tales of RPGs can be a little bit tropey and rote with some of their very, very basic framework before you get into the, the nitty-gritty details of story and characters. I, I, a lot of them are spiky-haired teenagers. A lot of the conflicts are save the world from an existential threat or an environmental threat or something, and it, it, they can be a little normal-seeming. But Yuri, as this badass works outside the law straight up murders people in the dark of night <laughs> character is uh like he's he's refreshing and fun in a way that i i, I think i gasped the when he kills rego in uh yeah. the, first, the first time i saw that that really stands out to me as one of the best moments i'm it, like it, it's, you... a, it's a turning point and i'm, I'm it's so I'm, good and, and uh, the second uh time he in does true, like in true uh tradition too like i do like how they treat uh human deaths in that game where it's like uh human enemies just collapse on the field they don't like kapoof like the yeah. monster enemies they don't fade out do they no yeah weird. so they actually treat it like a serious thing yeah um but yeah no like agreed i was genuinely shocked when that happened and i felt like Oh my god, really? Like all this talk was building up to that and he, I thought it's never gonna happen. Too. Like he said some yeah. real stuff to them. Yeah. There they go. I mean, yeah, like we were saying, um, all the protagonists that follow, so like you've got Asbel, you've got Jude, you've got Core Meteor, and you've got uh Saray and uh, Velvet, who's perhaps a bit too much over the other side. Yeah, but like all the other. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, Velvet's, or, Velvet's a delightful overcorrection. <laughs> she is a delightful. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, full overcorrection is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, no, Yuri definitely stands out, and I think you get that feeling right at the start when he is kind of gung ho about doing things and actually taking charge and. Storming I really like that he seems to be an adult. Like, he's kind of over his issues. He doesn't really question his decisions. He's not kind of growing up. He's already grown up. Yeah, he's been through some stuff. Um, did anyone, yeah. Has anyone seen the first, uh, the first Strike, the anime prequel? I, I've I saw only, it around when it was out. I, yeah. I, I have not seen it, but I have seen uh, parts of it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it. I saw it when it came out, first of all. Um, but I, I think that covers some things. Obviously, he's there when... Rapide's owner dies and his dad, uh, like older puppy dies. Um, older puppy. Oh. I know it's so sad. <laughs> um, and he goes through some stuff there, but like that is kind of how he gets to be who he is. And Vesperia was kind of the culmination of like everything he's been through. He's already had his kind of uh, origin story, I guess, if you want to put it. And this is him doing his thing. And 
Yeah, the game's like, really good at kind of covering that with a lot of the uh, side quests and cutscenes. Yeah, uh, it, maybe too much with the side quests for some characters. It, but we'll well, get to that. Um, this is true of Yuri for most of the story. He's uh, he he's mature and like firm and decisive, which is all appealing. But at the very beginning, he's just he's like chilling out in a rented hotel room or, or something, and he's very <laughs> he's very listless. He's uh, he doesn't really have direction or anything. Which at a, at a level, I mean, because I played. I played this game when I was maybe feeling similarly sometimes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I also got, it's like, okay, so he, this is a guy who's capable. Everyone knows, everyone knows him. Uh, they know he's a good fighter. They, they, they've, uh, you know, he has a reputation, but, and not necessarily a bad reputation. But he doesn't know what to do with himself, and he's just kind of, he's just kind of existing. And, uh, but then this, uh, when the plot of, Tales of Vesperia gets rolling. He, we see, we like it. Like ha being forced into action brings out the best in Yuri, which I, I think was is cool. It's like this is not a teenager that starts from nothing. This is a man who is, you know, sort of down, uh, down in the dumps, just temporarily. Who is, uh, you know, gets to, you know, find his purpose in, um, in this quest. Mm, exactly. I, I also love that there's no big moment of like you know incredible hero dismay. You know he's always confident. Mm, <laughs> I swear yes. to God, it's something a lot of the heroes need. Because uh, yeah, he's like the least uh, I don't know, just the least kind of sweet in a way, and that really works. Like audiences really responded to the him being mature. Yeah, he definitely has moments of doubt, but like he's never he wavers occasionally, but like it's he never like. In the moment, he never stops himself from doing it. Like, a prime example is the end of the section that we're covering when, um, I guess I'll jump straight into it, where uh, one of the leaders of the guilds is killed and he asks Yuri to essentially be there and stand next to him and it's like yeah, stop him from doing it. Whatever, yeah. yeah, as a second. Yeah. And it's that moment where it's like, oh my god, like, it really does go some places with Yuri. And I think, as well, since we're on it like Yuri's obviously feeling like it because he's quit the knights and he doesn't really know what to do with himself but then you've got Flynn who is his best friend and mm -hmm. his complete opposite in every it's, single it's way cool, yeah because I guess like they kind of were raised in the same house except you know Flynn went out the front door and Yuri went out the back I guess exactly yeah, yeah. they're they're best friends they're rivals Yuri's a little bit frustrated since Flynn's kind of a golden boy who has all the talent and respect in the world and would always you know beat them in their childhood games but Yuri, but Flynn also is slightly jealous of Yuri because Yuri can sort of say and do what he wants in a way more uh, that Flynn couldn't do, and uh, they want they both join the knights, intending uh, being frustrated with the structure of the empire and the knights, and intending to change it the knights from the inside out, which is something. But uh, but Yuri got dissatisfied and quit while uh, Flynn soldiered on, as it were, and now you have them trying to change this world structure and the knight structure with like again par at, on parallel paths from Flynn as a knight captain or he gets promoted to captain in uh, act in act 1 or early in mm -hmm. act 2 and yeah. Flynn and Yuri as this uh, as this vigilante or our working outside the law and I love their rivalry in this game I love it so much because uh, the, the, these are t they're I I I made this same reference in multiple podcasts now but they're a paragon and a renegade in like in Mass Effect <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect comparison, though. 
Like Flynn is your typical. Flynn is very much what you'd expect a Tales protagonist to be. Although he's not, because he's not naive all the time. No, he's, he, sometimes... he's like a Tales protagonist in the in the last third of a Tales game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is fitting for him. Or it's like you know uh, a strong like that whole throwaway that line that strong sense of justice. But at least he's actually puts his money where his mouth is. He's actually a very you know hard worker. Yeah. Well, Vesperia is really just all about justice, isn't it? Like, you've got the guild, you've got the knights, you've got the world order, you've got what's the right and the wrong and things. And the whole motto of one of the guilds, which we'll get to, is do justice and punish the unjust, which is Brave Vesperia's very own tagline. Um, so it really does embody that. But I think it does it in an adult way. And something that used to annoy me about Tales of Symphonia was the fact that Tales of Symphonia was like, Dwarven Vow number seven, justice and love will always win. And I used to hate that. But like playing Vesperia kind they, of... To be fair, they did call it out as like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. that's grown worthy. <laughs> they did. But like the kind of... an Because uh, Lloyd found it really irritating. But like Vesperia gives it that kind of adult waiting, I think, like that mature waiting that I was like i i was expecting and was pretty happy with basically i like the way that they balance these two characters and we'll go through what they do they try to talk real consequences in the game exactly yeah, yeah. we'll um, go and we'll kind of I, I will up. say i know we're not covering it yet but there is some diminishing returns to that mm -hmm. uh, plot line i find which is a little irritating but for the most part for the acts one and two they do cover it well yeah, we'll definitely cover that in the next episode because I have the same problems, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, pretty early on, Yuri finds out the Aquabalastia has been stolen and is flooding the lower quarter of Zaphius, which is the capital. So he goes in to the castle and tries to find the mage who has stolen it. And in kind of gets caught up in a fight between the knights and Estelle. And Estelle is trying to leave the castle to find Flynn. And... Again, she Estelle... had to tell him. I never really got that. She was desperate to meet him for the entire first act. I'm not really <laughs> ever sure what they talked about. I don't know. They they had a chat in the inn at Capua Nor, I think, but you never really find out about what that's about. Well, like, I just um, assumed it's some of the corruption. I my assumption was because uh they were attacked by oh what by crazy pants what's his name Zagi yeah they, they, were, they were attacked by Zagi no. in Flynn's room and he and Zagi thought that Yuri was Flynn so I oh. assumed that Estelle heard... do we ever learn what Zagi's deal is either I, I, I don't know but I I, heard, I I assumed that uh someone either within the council or within the knights was trying to kill Flynn because they thought of him as a as a as a, a, a potential problem. So I think right. she probably heard of either a sabotage attempt or an assassination attempt. And I think uh, so. and uh, Zagi was maybe one failed part of that. <laughs> that that was my guess. But I don't know why they had to keep why they had to keep it a secret because um unless something happens later that I forget. I don't think Yuri so. probably would have been a great confidant in that. Yeah. yeah he would have been. Yeah, no. so god, okay, so character-wise, I adore it. Plot-wise, I have so many questions. <laughs> like I, I could have sworn they talk about Blastia for like a good hour's worth of game time. I, I still don't know what the hell is happening with that. I don't get it. I, uh, no. Oh boy. Um I I think we should save that maybe for the the second part of the episode sure, because yeah. maybe because the conflict in act three is very Blastia centric. But mm -hmm. um one thing that I think the first say four or five hours of the game do, uh, Lana was alluding to this earlier, is that you have this weird world balance of the the, the like of the royalty and the nobles 
in the upper quarter and the poor people in the lower quarter, and the guild system working outside the empire, and Blastia being the game's magic technology, and which is mostly run by the knights, which are separate, which are separate from the empire but defend the empire, and they're always at uh, at odds with the guilds, and then um, you have. Uh, Basically, um, people have come to rely on the Blastia very heavily because they protect towns from an ongoing monster threat outside. And uh, there was a war against monsters ten years ago that is fresh in many people's minds. And that's a lot of plot and world structure going on. But the first five hours of the game, they feed it to you in a steady drip that felt like good pacing. Like, every time you meet a new character, they're a part of one facet of this world. Like, Carol's really involved in the guilds. And Estelle's a noble, and Yuri is a commoner. And, uh, yeah. and, and Rita is, works at a Blastia laboratory. And so you're learning about the Vesperia world as you go to new places and meet new characters. And it's, it, it, it stays interesting. You are always reading and learning new things about Vesperia <laughs> as you play through the game. And it, and it would be dense if they hammered it on a little too hard, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just like reading books because I, I, uh, I was, I'm generally more intrigued and less intrigued the more I hear. Well, I think they do really well with it because it follows through with plot threads rather than like, there is a kind of overarching plot to the game in that it is, as you've said, to do with Blastia and to do with the world order, but it doesn't really use that as the focal point. Like every, I mean, Tales of Games are split into three acts and this has got three really distinctive acts. Mm-hmm. So three, three really distinctive different stories. But there's always central themes within those that are interconnected between the three acts. So I think the reason it's so, it's not overwhelming is because it's quite digestible. Like I'd never really found Thesperia's story a struggle, um, but or like any of it to really... I, I think the world building is the world building is good, and the story only becomes a struggle at like the very ends of Act Two and Three. Um, <laughs> On the bright side, it's not for lack of explaining it; it's just kind of a mm, yeah. As opposed to say Final Fantasy Thirteen, which is just, <laughs> which needs its own dictionary. And, and also, um, Vesperia doesn't get quite as political as uh, a bit Tales of the Abyss does, but the the politics of the world with the throne succession and uh, and the. Uh, and the you know um, oppressive tendencies of both the knights and the rule and the upper class, I think is pretty cool. Like it's mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, sometimes it's a little bit uh, like I uh, I think it caters a little too uh, heavily to um, to to what players want. Like uh, it's very satisfying seeing the murder of an evil noble. And it's like mm-hmm. it's like okay, that's a little too French Revolution on the nose, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I like a lot of the political machinations they do in this game, even though it's not quite as crazy, um, like you know, uh, ongoing war and politics heavy as Abyss. And I, yeah, and I, and well, I do like it, it tends to move on from the scene pretty well. Yeah, and I, and I do like yeah, that they start at the next point. <laughs> they they stop a huge battle from taking place by a guy running into the middle of the fight on a horse <laughs> holding a letter. Yeah, which is really funny because that's all kind of semi-staged as well. Like the Don knows it's fake, but he knows as well that the whole of the guilds and the army are on the line, basically, because of the first yeah, enemy. Yeah, like like both sides sort of know it's fake, but they had to do it anyway because then because neither side really can uh, back down, and it's yeah, because of uh, of Flynn running into battle and Yuri working behind the scenes that it was able to pull off successfully. <laughs> So, so like some fun. good news and bad news with the first act. Uh, the so 
what was it? So yeah, the game starts with the Aqua Blast again stolen. You try to find some some guy named Mordio. You actually find out it's a guy named Dedeki. I don't know why I like that name. <laughs> um, so in the original game, you actually never ever resolve that plot line. You get your Aqua Blastia back, but you never really no. do justice, I guess, against Dedeki. So they did, finally did they added add it. Oh, they so... have, yeah, they've added so a side it's, quest. It's a side quest. It's literally in an alleyway, so it's it's sort of quite literally tucked away but but don't you uh, it was don't, not in the original one and the way it gets resolved is rita just throws fireballs at <laughs> she does that a lot um, didn't you capture Tadeki in those ruins in the the water ruins early in the game no, no he runs something... away oh it's not Tadeki either it's one of Tadeki's henchmen so yeah. the one in the ruins um after you meet rita is um yeah he's just working for Tadeki who is working for Barbos, who is the head of oh my god, I forget the name of this Blood guild. Alliance. The Blood Alliance. Thank you. Yeah, that's so not mean. not suspicious at all. Not at all. No, and one of the five master guilds as well. I mean, come on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> B before we drop to Deki, can I still do the quest if I'm in Act Two, uh, or is Dennis? I don't it? know. Um, uh, I remember finishing it in Act Two, but if not, I. I don't think it's too hard a quest to do. You, Let us bring just... up another point. Obnoxious side quest cutoffs. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's yeah. at least three that I've already cut myself off from, which is <laughs> annoying. But, uh, I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to try it 100% It's bad, though. It's game. like literally places like, hey, we have to make a run for it, but you actually have to backtrack right to the town you're escaping from, mm -hmm. activate the side quest, or it's missable. That is yeah. awful. And there are... Tales games have a bad habit of like wrapping up some loose ends literally in these side quests. Yeah, there are a few in particular that are quite plot important. Like there, you start this one off really early on. So after you leave the capital and get Estelle and you leave to go after Flynn to Halor, if you do not go to the top of Dead and Hold, you do not get your very first cutscene with Duke, who is very important yeah. to a lot of stuff later in the game. And if you don't see that cutscene, He'll just turn up in cave mock like a third, like nearly at the end of Act One, and everyone just has to pretend that they know who he is. And I, I like... did, I did get that cutscene, so I, yeah. I, I, I was lucky there. But I, uh, I know for sure I've missed out on one of Estelle's and one of Judith Smith's weapons just because of. And you, I'm sure you guys, oh, if, yeah. uh, you, you probably know yeah. both of those, um, uh, because of quests I've missed. So I'm determined to at least do one of those so i'm i'm following a guide to make sure i do all the guild quests which seem this tedious the, uh, the japanese coolie guide uh, uh oh i think it might be yeah uh, but and i've been doing a lot not, of... i'll send you that if <laughs> nah, uh, I, dear I, reader or listeners i recommend coolie's guide k-o-u-l-i coolie does, really does not spoiler yeah, coolie does non-spoiler guides for a lot of games japanese versions so i've uh, yeah. I, I believe i've used coolie's guides before but I'm, yeah, normally uh, I wouldn't drop this out of podcast, but again, because these cutoffs are so obnoxious, I feel it's necessary. And plus, I mean, you and, you and I have some affection for good old game FAQs. Yeah. Oh, and one yeah. of the side quests I read at the, near the very end requires an advanced recipe. <laughs> so I so in, to make sure I have that recipe in time, I've been doing a lot of cooking. <laughs> yeah, do it. It's really, really useful. Um, yeah, cooking's I'm doing powerful it. in this game. I, I can get forty percent, forty percent TP at the end of battle as long as I have fruit and milk and cream. As long as you don't give it to Flynn, because Flynn is the worst cook ever. He just doesn't cook yeah, anything. He, he's Arche, bad <laughs> levels of cook. Arche, Natalia, he's Rain, he's all of them. But he's I a guy as well. I love anime for that, man. Like, <laughs> you don't just suck at cooking, you cause explosions with eggs. I know. <laughs> Ex explosions. I, th I think there is, I, I mean, I was looking at a recipe guide earlier, so I, I, uh, 
I, I was aware of that a little, a little bit, even though Flynn hasn't joined me permanently yet. But I think they mentioned that one or two recipes require Flynn to cook something else. And they end like, in parentheses, <laughs> it, parentheses said, this will take a while. Flynn is the worst cook ever. <laughs> Did, yeah, an entire dungeon. Um, but, um, so... I guess we'll jump a little bit further along. So, I mean, we haven't talked about Carol and Rita yet, who joined fairly early on. The nice thing about Vesperia is you get a full party really, really quickly, like Abyss, in a way. Um, and and they kind of for one of the hardest bosses in the oh, game. Oh, boy. We're about to get to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're um, almost there. But you have, you're right, you have four people in, like, 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, and they all fulfill different functions as well, which is really good. So you've already got your main attacker, you've got a quick attacker, you've got an extra heavy but slow attacker, and then you've got your two mages fulfilled. So, I mean, I, I kind of adore Rita, just as an aside. Like, I'm more sympathetic to Carol than most people as well. I know Mike doesn't like Carol very much. I, I, I don't like I don't like uh, spunky children most of the time. And oh, Car and, so cute. And Carol is sort of extra cute and extra spunky. And I uh, like sometimes I like him. Like I think it was I think it's cute the way he admires Don Whitehorse so much. Mm -hmm. He's like I like he, that he's really he he balances out. He's a really smart kid. He's a total scaredy cat, but he's got a big old heart and um and you know he's always just trying to do the right thing. Yeah, he's even, like the... even if his bravery doesn't really match up for the task at hand. Yeah, he's like a twelve year old kid and he goes through some real tough moments in this game and you think to yourself, if I was him, he's there's no way. Too. Exactly. He's got no parents, he's been kicked out of every guild. But he goes through <laughs> some really big development as well. And I think maybe one of the biggest arcs and one of the most important arcs in the game because he is the one who forms Brave Vesperia. But I do get that he can be really annoying and I do <laughs> But I do love the kind of mocking tone that Yuri takes with him really early on. And I will always remember the prepare to die egg bear cut scene where he like sneaks up behind him and does that in um, Hello. But... He teases the hell out of him. I love it. Yeah, I do and love that. You can tell he loves him too because he's always talking with him and if does he, not mind traveling. If, any, if, anyone, if anyone abuses him, it's probably Rita though. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's, quite, she's quite violent with him. She is, yeah. She's very, very much a... She's not very social, and she shows it, but she's also very blunt, demanding, knows what she wants, and even Estelle points it out really early on in the Shikos ruins, and that Estelle's like, do you not ever hesitate? And Rita's like, well, why would I? And that's kind of Rita in a nutshell. She just and, does and whatever you, the hell she wants. And, and, but yeah. but she also cares more and more about Estelle as the game goes on, and she you, oh, really, yeah. you really see her yeah. sort of learning empathy and uh, and and caring for others in a way that's almost weird. But uh, but uh, I mean, from you know, just from what observing Rita for the first part of the game, I think that sort of like imply that that's like her first real friend. <laughs> Yeah, um, potentially more. Like it's also it's also Estelle's it's also Estelle's first real friend. She says, "I'm f I'm glad that I can have a friend that's my own age because they're like I think yeah. I think one of them's seventeen, one of them's fifteen or something." And the way that they treat their first friend differently, how Rita does not understand how what like how friends work until she, and then she ends up caring for Estelle a whole lot. And Estelle's just always so excited and so kind-hearted and positive. Mm -hmm. She starts I feel like the sort of high five gimmick that all of them seem to go through <laughs> with Estelle. It's like uh, Estelle doesn't know how to do it at first, and then she starts giving everybody one. Um, <laughs> repeats, yeah, with his tail. <laughs> with his tail. Uh, I like Carol's where he uh, jumps up to hit Yuri's and he hurts him. <laughs> yeah, this hey, game you're because he's that spunky, I guess. Yeah, well, Carol has stubby little arms, but he also wields gigantic swords, axes, yeah. and hammers. So he, yeah. they must be some tree trunk stubby little arms. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
I, I'm gonna I'm totally gonna go art mode right now, but I do love the design of like all the characters too. Yeah, I think uh, these are some of um Fujishima's best. I agree. Yeah, like color wise, I do like you know, it's it's a little on the nose, but I do like the whole Yuri's, you know, coated in black and you know, Finn's literally a white knight. Um <laughs> they, but, all, like they, I even they like all how have their Estelle own... looks like a flower. Like they all have sort of a, like a, a different color theme. So, yeah. uh, and I, if the, you know me, there's one thing I love. It's uh, a team of heroes with different multicolored themes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you notice, like, a bunch of the guild people are kind of animal motifed? Yeah, the, the I mean, the hunting the ones blades. In the, in the hunting blades, a lot of them have, like, rhino masks and, uh, and like, uh, uh, shoot, uh, wild boar masks and stuff. Yeah. Um, like, Nan kind of looks like a bird. She's got a few feathery things. Her, her yes. circular thing has, like, a, be- a quote-unquote beak on it. Uh, Jaeger looks like a shark and he's got like these kind of sharp <laughs> edges uh, and sort of like a ripply sweater that looks like fins. Yeah, I think, that I think uh, the guy I think the guy with the hoodie that's in the hunting blades is kind of like a lizard or a gecko. The way he yeah, can sort of snake. He, yeah. yeah, the way he can sort of like slither up walls and the, and the way and the way he fights with his like his uh, hands almost uh, formed in the claws. Mhm. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I really, I don't really understand what Duke's motif is. It's just wild looking. <laughs> I have it's like white hair. Yuri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Duke's a Duke's a conundrum. We'll get to him for definite. Maybe more next episode. Yeah. But yeah, he just kind of pops up and goes and is like mysterious man. Ooh, and with really deep, sexy voice. And I'm just like, all right, you can keep coming along. Like I'm happy with you talking to me. Um, but anyway, since we've already hinted at the boss, so we've done a couple of dungeons. So the beginning of the game kind of eases you into all of the systems and stuff like that. And I will get into the battle system in a minute. But we alluded to this on our favorite Tales of games, but there is a boss in a place called Imid Hill. So the first part of the game, you're chasing after Flynn and you're going to Capua Nor. It's, it's and maybe this... the third boss in the game. It's, it's yep. super early. It's ridiculous. And... Even like even this time, I knew it was coming, and I I was I killed I died like three times on the first time I played the review um, the definitive yeah, edition. Yeah, like a or something like that. I forgot its exact name. But that boss is so hard, and yeah. then they want you to do the stupid uh, secret challenge, and it is incredibly difficult. Yeah, every yeah. boss fight in the game is a secret challenge, which is a a task that the player does not know of unless you check a guide. But it gives you every a boss look. fight is also easier than this one. Yeah, <laughs> even right? the last one is easier. I swear to God, than the, this fight. I, there are a whole lot of secret missions, but this is the hardest boss because it just tanks for damage like it can kill you in two hits and it has and it has two minion buddies and you can get randomly stunned by a flower if you accidentally Mm -hmm. attack one nearby there's a lot going on and the boss is way too strong already it's also the point of the game this is also point of the game like the game kind of eases you into the battle system it gets super good act two and on but it's a little bit sort of janky even kind of purposefully just while you get more skills that kind of help you build your repertoire and yeah the worst the worst part of all very well to add insult to injury after you beat him and it'll take you four or five tries carol's like oh that was easy oh god every (laughs) time that happens i'm like are you kidding wound salty yeah for definite save afterwards like immediately I'm yeah. Like, oh. no i was not happy about that and there's was... no there's no other surprises in emmied hill that would that uh, probably unless you get you know really uh hosed by a back attack or something but yeah that is a really unreasonable difficulty spike um but yeah also the other thing i hate about really hard bosses like that is they have no purpose in the plot if it was duke or somebody who was ridiculously hard i might take it 
but it's just some rando enemy that turns up and is like, oh no, it's defending its territory. No other reference to it ever again. Yeah, like, just, oh, this, do th that? this big wolf was one of the monsters that attacked the town earlier. Let's fight it. That was it. <laughs> yeah, it is horrible. Um, but then the next town over, um, you get to see kind of the real horrors of the army and the well the of the empire and Caponora is a pretty grim place. You have to go in. Uh, there's a family being attacked by some of Rago's men who we've already hinted at and you have to go and kill a, or take the horn off of a monster to go and see the uh, magistrate Rago. And this is your first glimpse of Raven and also the new character for the definitive edition and for the PS3 version, Patty Fleur. Hey. Yeah, I love her. I would defend her. Patty Fleur is pretty great. <laughs> She is pretty awesome. Uh, um, um, her, her attacks are hilarious too. Just uh, um, what is she? She's, she's like frying pan pirate, dice master, <laughs> card woman. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, she just you... <laughs> she, she just has an uh like an endless frying number of items pirate. in her coat. It's like maybe she should have a giant bag of tricks instead of Carol. Yeah, I think she's fun to use. Like I don't totally get her move set, and I always use a more straightforward <laughs> character like uh, like Yuri or Rapide. But uh, having her in the party, just you know, throwing hammers and anvils or whatever at people is, you know, you, you do you. She's, <laughs> Patty she is the light. Really love her design too. It's quite darling. It's classic. Yeah, classic, cute pirate. I like the way that you. I love the way that everyone assumes that Patty at the beginning is like Yuri's child. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Patty's older than Carol. I mean, at least physically. Um, but I have no idea. I figured idea. that her and Carol are about the same age, aren't they? Both like twelve. I think she's about 13, but yeah, okay. it's pretty much the same age, isn't it? Um, she's definitely but... old enough to be madly in love with Yuri, that's for sure. Who <laughs> <laughs> yep. wouldn't? Exactly. Okay, um, fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I will get to Patty a little bit more later on, but she does feel a bit disappointing in terms of story, which is obviously going to be difficult because she was basically inserted into the literally PS3. On. Yeah, and she is literally tacked on, but she does give the pirate ship Ghost Dungeon an actual purpose, which made me laugh. I was like, oh, we're going yeah. here for a reason? Now? Yeah. Like, great. Um, and and yeah, they make because a... before it was just, oh, it's another ghost ship segment. Cool. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> she's the permanent pilot of your ship for when you have for when you have a ship instead of having you know a rental from the uh, Fortunes Market Guild, which is you know uh, yes, this is a role on the team that we probably need. It is, but that it's Tokunaga, the guy who used to sail your ship is called Tokunaga. Which is yeah, just like uh, Anis's doll. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I never got that. I never got that connection. Um, I didn't know why they were both Tokunaga, but they, here we are. Yeah, story-wise, it's kind of weird that like literally she just kind of inserts her opinion just literally with one line of dialogue to kind of help beef up her presence. She always has these adorable like boat or fish puns though, so I'm always yeah. pretty happy when she opens her mouth. I'm just like, this is better than a dead sea fish or whatever, and I'm like, that's a, what, don't really. Okay, I'll listen to. You. But yeah, she does feel a little bit forced, and she but she does have her moments later on and say that she has some connections to the guilds. Um, but Rago's mansion is kind of the first time you get a sense of the empire not being all that it is, and you do meet Flynn at this point as well. So this is the first time you actually see Guy Cecil's clone in this game, who I feel <laughs> he's just as attractive as him. Though they do set Finn up really well. Like you kind of feel mm. like you know him, but by the time you see him, oh yeah, you'd know exactly the minute he turns up. You're like, oh, this is the guy we're after. Yeah, yeah, and you feel he feels right at home. Um, the cutscene with the uh, fighting the thugs in the alley, and then they do a double demon fang at the end <laughs> is great. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, yeah, you can tell they fought together. 
Um, and then this is the kind of first. This uh, back at Amid Hill, you saw like a destroyed blast here with a strange code, and then this is the second time you see one. But this is also the first time you meet the dragon rider or the dragon freak, as Rita calls her. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, she becomes important later on. Uh, but I mean, this we, kind we, of... we, we can say it. Uh, near the end of yeah. Act One, uh, the armor breaks, and it's a very stunning young lady named Judith. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I I have a soft spot for Judy. She's not to. Yeah, she like um again with how they kind of avert typical tropes, I guess. Uh I always compliment how Sheena's demure and sexy and uh Judith is just super confident and nonchalant and doesn't yeah. really care. She does not care at all, does she? She's so proud of it and she's like not afraid to hide anything. And she's also yeah. really playful with the rest of the cast. Like she's really flirty. She kind of keeps Raven happy and- by like letting him flirt with her and she like kind of teases him and leads him on a little bit and, and, and then, then, bit, and then she'll, shut, an she'll shut him down very firmly <laughs> but yeah <laughs> she gives I'm him fine. an inch and then she stomps all over him for mm. sure <laughs> yeah it's cool that they actually made an aerial uh aerial juggler yeah really her ai is terrible but yeah. like she's oh, really God. fun to play as if you can master her she does take a bit of practice but it's the first time they've really gone for that and i don't really think they've done it again as well as her Eleanor really in Berseria is a little bit like her. Yeah, she's a bit more ground-based, I found. I found her a lot easier to get used to than Judy. But, yeah, this series... Um, Alicia, as well, was a bit more ground-based, um, even more so than Eleanor from Zesteria. But you don't really get to play as her for long enough, so you don't really get enough time. Uh, I, I wish I had played this game, but the Tales of Destiny remake does focus on air combos a lot. So mm-hmm. um, and, and and Stan even in the oh, original true. Tales of Destiny was the first person to use that uh, oh shoot that spinning flying sword attack that makes him look oh, like a buzzsaw. Tempest. Yeah, Tempest, yeah, yeah. Like Tempest is like his his signature move. So I love that in, move. In in uh, the Tales of Destiny remake, like everyone's tempesting all over the place, and uh, <laughs> and and that was the first game that felt like you know extremely juggle heavy. And uh, going on with that, Judith was the first sort of dedicated I'm the air character. And and Alicia and uh, and Eleanor going forward are sort of those characters. You, you know, it's it, it's a different way of playing the game. But if you can really master it, it's super fun. I cannot master it. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me. I'm not. I I, I, I prefer uh, just you know chaining combos to different combos. And so I, I mm-hmm. usually stick with swordy characters. And I'll maybe uh, like I'll I'll usually learn one non swordsman in a tales game like uh. I really, I really like using Eisen and Berseria and uh, Ocean yeah, and, 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 and Regal and Symphonia. But back to Judith. Um, I sort of like how her and Yuri are similar in that they're very sort of calm, confident, matter-of-fact when it comes to sort of discussing what they're going to do next. Yeah, Judy even more so. Like, she's sometimes just willing to, like, beat the crap out of anybody. And Yuri's like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. And it's like, hang on a minute, there's someone more gung-ho than Yuri in the party? Like, really? And and I also like when Carol forms Brave Vesperia. Technically, the only other guild members are Yuri, Judith, and Rapide. And, um, <laughs> and like, Carol's... And sort of, you know, Yuri makes fun of Carol calling him Captain Carol, but... St- ostensibly sort of carol's in charge and judith and yuri are the older in charge (laughs) carol's in charge of our days (laughs) anyway (laughs) 
I apologize <laughs> for, for that. The, uh, old, <laughs> yeah, a joke the for old the men here. Yeah, for the lovers of uh, '80s uh, American sitcoms. Um, uh, but yeah, like, like sort of Judy and Yuri are like the older brother and sister for Carol, <laughs> and and they uh, and they do it in a. I I just sort of like Yuri and Judith's interactions. Mm-hmm. I, I do. They're all really good. Like they all got okay. This is kind of lead me to one of my beefs, but uh, they all have really great chemistry, and I did beef this time with some of the uh, them tr- keep trying. Sorry, keep trying to break the band up. It's like, what do you want to do? It's like just decide. It's fine. Like we're we're in this together. And they're all kind of like, ah, we'll see when we get there. Hey, hey, can I tag along with you? It's like, oh god, just get to it. Yes, <laughs> we're buddies. Yeah. We've traveled the world. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few instances of that. And act two yeah, is a little... and like some of uh, Estelle's lollygagging about like what she wants to do, it didn't make much sense to me. I was like, after a while, sure like the first couple of times, yeah. And I think it was when Judy starts going like, "Well, what is Braid for Sparia to you? Are they just your like pawns? Are they just do whatever you want them to do?" And then she's like, yeah. uh, "No, that was like the bit where I feel like it should have stopped." But like, yeah, she does drag it out a little bit right into we the second. Tales of and... Brave Vesperia, we stick together, and you know, I kind of <laughs> wish they realized that a little bit earlier because. But Estelle's not in Brave Vesperia; she's their client, and <laughs> the uh, the thing. Yeah, and, they and, need and, her and, as and, much as they need them. Yeah, they, they them. also they also keep you know accusing her of of, uh, of you know changing her mind and following whims, and then she but then she's has to learn. Hey, you can't always just do what you want without consequences, and they're trying to teach her that a little bit. And it, I, I think it mostly works, and then hits a bit of a dark moment when she um, heals something she shouldn't be healing, mm-hmm. when, when, because her instinct is always to immediately heal anything that is hurt, injured that's in front of her. For the most part, though, I mean, she seems to know where the loyalties go. I mean, she didn't really bat an eye that two of her council members were, or sorry, a council member and a high-ranking knight were friggin' assassinated by one of her teammates. I know, right? She had one She's just moment. like, well, you probably did it for a good reason. I, I think she just <laughs> trusts Yuri that much. She, like, like, she yeah. knows yeah. She, she knew they were bad. She was paralyzed as what to do with them at the time. And then later when she learns that Yuri kills Rago and sees him kill Kumor, or... Uh, I don't know if she saw him or like learned immediately after or something. She's yeah. like, she's like, this is Yuri. I trust Yuri. I know he wants to do the right thing. I know these guys were bad guys, and she, I think she sort of accepts that she's okay with it more easily than Flynn does, at least. Mm-hmm. She does, <laughs> yeah. But I guess that she's like the observer, and that if it hadn't happened, I think we'd be really annoyed playing it. That nobody died and nobody got any consequence out of it, because I've definitely played games where I've gone, I want this person to be killed or something, and they just get away scot free. So. I mean, it's not excuse. Yeah, the game really put its money where its mouth is on that respect. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. does. Um, but I guess we're tying, kind of approaching the end of Act 1. I mean, we have Raven to talk about still, but we have the act around, um, the section around Heliord and around Kerbokram, which kind of feel like a bit like interludes. Heliord becomes important later on. Um, I love the look this... of that city, too. Yeah. Well, the tragic underbelly. But um, yeah, the, the giant waterfall is so pretty and the music is but... just delightful. Karabakram does, doesn't uh, introduce a monster that becomes important later and teaches yes, you a, l- a, a little bit about the hunting blades, which who are who get more prominent later. But yeah. it's, uh, I agree that Karabakram and uh, maybe uh, Cave Mock and Heliord more feel like stops rather than destinations. 
Yeah, I mean, they introduce you to important things, like um, Cave Mock is the first instance where you see an air crene, um, and it's the first time, if you don't do the cutscenes, where you see uh, the side quest where you see Duke. Uh, Heliord, as well, also introduces you to Alexei, who is the commandant of the knights, and becomes a pretty big player later on, And but he's kind of invisible for the first part of this game, and for a large part of the game in general, like, he's just a name that people yeah, bat he, around. Um, uh, this is, we're going to save this for the second episode, of course, but when he becomes more prominent quickly in the second half mm. of the game, it was a big surprise to me. It's like, oh, this guy? Kinda, yeah. Kind of a deal. And, and, uh, yeah. and also, I think, the, I think the first time I played it, I didn't realize him and Duke were separate characters, at, at, least, <laughs> at, least, at least briefly. Because they have armor of similar color and shiny silver hair. Yeah. Both white Very hands. cool flips on it. Yeah. And very <laughs> deep voices. I, I, just, yeah, get, I just get confused in a Tales game if uh, two characters have the same color hair. Unless they're obviously different, like Genus and Rain or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, but Raven, we've already met him a couple of times before. We've met him at uh, Capua uh, Noor. You meet him at uh, the next port town. You also meet him in various different places. And then he joins you at Cave Mark. Um, but he's an important member of the head of the Five Master Guilds at Darngrest, Altosk. And I kind of love Raven a bit. He's so good. I think goofy. I feel the same as you. I kind of love him, but I also kind of don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think he gets some really good mileage later on. And again, this is something yeah. we'll go into next episode. But like, he is definitely, he's the zealous of the party. But I feel like he has a lot of fun. He's kind of the goof and he kind of, I kind of let him get away with stuff because he's a bit of an idiot and because, you know, he just, like, Rita also gets to hit him, like, all the time, which is great. He's, um, uh, he's this game's version of, oh, shoot, you know, character who knows more than he lets on. Oh, and, God, and, yeah, and, and so he's, obvious. Yeah, he's an extreme version of that, if anything. Um, But... Altosk is a really, really cool guild, and um, Darngrest is a really cool city, and one of my probably my favorite in the entire game. And Don Whitehorse is so cool; like you can totally get why Carol admires and adores him. Like you've got this big, beefy white. The dude really head. works with his short screen time. He really does, and yeah. you get this sense like Yuri immediately respects him and nicely in the ps3 version the definitive edition it adds a fight between yuri and the don that you can't win on a first playthrough you can only win it if you do like the times 10 experience points and they're like level 60 but it's so cool and the fight like make like really rams home that like yuri yuri could be the don like in 20 40 years time yuri kind of feels like he would evolve into that kind of figure head uh, I, I would kill for a sequel for Vesperia. I think it could be one of those games that's really interesting to revisit. It would be, especially given what happens after the end of the game yeah. and how that goes. Um, I don't know whether I trust them, because every sequel I yeah. kind of hated, but yeah. Wait, what's the least offensive of the sequels? I mean, I mean probably Exilia Destiny 2. 2. De oh, uh, Destiny uh, 2, possibly, I haven't played it, but Exilia right. 2 is probably the least offensive of the two I have played. Okay. Uh, although, no, actually, no. No, I was going to talk about Fantasia, but it wasn't. Oh, right. it, was, it came first. <laughs> okay, so I, I try to play the games while while I'm doing the podcast. Usually, it helps me kind of talk about it. I love repeat. Whenever he fails to steal something, he just scratches himself. <laughs> yes, actually, that's a good time to jump into the battle system because it's not really anything we've dug into yet, and mm. this is really. <laughs> 
I think it's probably the best TP system in the series. Like, Exilia is a little bit more fluid, but it's got a really annoying gimmick that hinders it in two-player mode and that you have to link to other characters to get your best moves. But Vesperia, as Steph said, it starts off quite slow and clunky, but as you learn more systems, you get really, really good and it gets really deep. And there is a really intense combo system. There's a really intense skill system. I really love it. And I think... I really like Fatal Strikes, which you learn about halfway yeah, through Act 1. Yeah, they're so cool to pull off. Like, any normal enemy you can kill in one hit. The idea with bosses is to try and chain them so you get better hits and so, damage. Have, okay, have you guys noticed as well that you can't really bring on a Fatal Strike? Like, if you keep doing, like, an attack that causes it, it will, yeah. like, and just an attack, it has to be comboed in? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I think I've noticed that as well. So I've done that before, I'm, like, doing, like, you know, like, Demon Fang, Demon Fang, and it's to <laughs> kind of get it there, but it won't happen ever. And but yeah, it's a really perfect evolution of Abyss, because Abyss's free-running was Abyss so broken. broken yeah. that this penalizes you, and one common complaint, and I did notice it, is there's a lot of lag animation with a lot of attacks, guarding, arts, because Yuri likes to be really stylish and flip his axes <laughs> over his back. Yeah. It looks so cool. You can, like, free run and cancel it if you're playing manually, um, but it does take a bit of practice to do. Um, yeah, I, I usually try to cancel things with guard so, I, yeah. so I, I won't get caught in an animation, and that helps sometimes, but sometimes I won't finish my arcane art if i uh <laughs> if i aggressively guard like mash the guard cancel but there's yeah. uh, uh like you said alana i think this is maybe the best version of a tp based battle system that tails has it's a more refined version of what abyss did and it has you know characters that can do the combo basic arcane mystic um system but then but there's also you can the skill system can give you a lot of extra tricks. You can yeah. change some of your arts if you equip certain skills. Uh, everyone has attacks of multiple elements. Um, so, and uh, because characters can do different roles and different damage types, you can make almost any party that you want. Uh, yeah, really yeah, they're all good. And, uh, and the characters feel sort of healing, and they feel different too. It's a, uh, I, I don't think mm -hmm. of because like uh, shoot, going back to Symphonia, it's like Zelos and Kratos are pretty similar, and. Uh, and, and sometimes characters with swords even just feel a little too similar to each other. But in this one, I don't think any of the characters feel like controlling just another one of the same. Yeah, Yuri and Flynn have some similar moves, but they do feel differently. Like, Yuri's definitely more flamboyant in the way he attacks. And his, like, it, they both have a couple of similar moves. So they both have Dragon Swarm, and, like, Yuri's is definitely more swirly. Yuri can basically do his own 15-hit combo. Yeah, I know. And then, like, Flynn is a little bit more standard tail swordsman, um, which is really fun. Then Rapide as well, who also shares some moves with Yuri with some more dog flair. Demon Dog <laughs> is my favorite. I yeah. love it. Um, and he also has um, Light Spear and uh, Hellpire and things. So he has some of the similar, like, traditional tail swordsman moves. But he's also really quick and, like, even the characters that are really similar definitely have a different feel to them. And even, like, archers. Like, Natalia in Abyss is a standard archer. Raven is not. Raven is really strange to play as. Like, he can do short-range attacks with knives and then long-ranged attacks. A lot of his arts are trap moves and are designed to and kind he, of... And he has wind up. spells. Yeah, he's really good as a support <laughs> mage. And actually, I use him over Rita a lot of the time. But um, that's just kind of preference. But... Yeah, like everyone feels really different. And for like with Abyss, I stuck to one party most of the time. You there your first four characters are your best four characters in Abyss. Yeah, this totally. game, you can use everybody in different situations. And you are forced to as well in a lot of situations. So 
it's fun. I really, really dig it. But the skill system, and you've alluded to it, is really similar to Final Fantasy IX, which I love. So you learn skills off of weapons. There are so many skills and so many weapons. I'm trying to get all the skills and every repeat in particular is a bugbear. So there's a whole synthesis system in this game and it's not it's much easier to manage than Zesteria's or Berseria's equipment management God, system. In, in Berseria you'll get a new <laughs> yeah. piece of equipment and it'll say 500 points to level up and I'll just be like oh man why am I playing this game and, and, and with this one you, you learn skills more quickly but there's just so many of them and so many weapons. Yeah, like Rapide's knives, every single one has an alpha and a beta version, and then it's got a plus one and a plus two version, and then it's got like an alpha and a beta of the plus one version, and I'm just like, how many times do I need to buy the same knife just so I get every skill? It's kind of frustrating, but I do like the skill system. I think it's really, really fun and easy to pick up as well. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a chore, personally, because Final Fantasy IX's skill system is one of my favourites, and this is basically the same as that, so... Yeah, alternates are fun as well. I really like learning them. They can be a bit tedious, but they're worth it, some of them. Um, By the end, you get some really good skills that just make combat a joy, basically. And yeah. I do love how fast, just generally how fast-paced it is, and there's always like great attack options, and you can uh, slip between characters as much as you want, and they all play very weird. Um, and generally, it's a lot of fun. Like even, even Estelle, like she's a bit of a tank healer, so she's actually not even too bad to take on as well. She, she does not die very often. She no. can take some hits, which is so useful. Yeah, I, I love having a healer that can take a hit like oh a healer that with that has a shield and high defense and doesn't put herself in danger like crazy yeah, yeah <laughs> god I, I wish there were more rpg healers like still i will say her ai is so much better in this version than the xbox version it was dreadful she would run out and attack and everything but you can really really see the difference to the point where she almost overheals like the only criticism i have of estelle is that sometimes yuri will be the only one who's taken damage and it'll only be like 500 and she'll use <laughs> revitalize and i'm like come on like you've got so much tp you could just use first aid or something but she does get some really good skills and she's a lot of fun and she has some light magic as well but her sword skills are also pretty good and She's I nice do wish one. they put more options to to recovering TP. Like, uh, I like the Tales games always have it that every attack, like normal basic attack you combo in, you get one extra TP. I wish after a while it'd give you two. Yeah, I think hit, so too. Yeah, skills just start costing more and more and more. And when when one of them costs twenty TP and you're just dealing dinky little ones, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I wish there was more to kind of keep track of TP for how much it relies on it. Yeah, there are a couple of skills you can equip that help with that. So there's one where if you do like a ten hit combo you start recovering yeah. two per hit which is really really useful but it still shows because you get like skills that cost 20 tp on yuri when he's like level 25 and it's mm -hmm. he's only got like 150 to 200 tp at this point and it so was it was around then when i started relying on eating sorbets and puddings after every single battle or every, yeah. every, every, every couple battles <laughs> this game's not light on orange gels though either you get one no. nearly every couple of fights so it's it's fairly generous and I do like the auto item system as well. That's good. And I like the fact you yeah. can toggle it to cancel them using it or allow them to use it. Because yeah. I, hate, I hate letting them use everything. I'd rather like manage it myself. But yeah, um, Vesperia's combat only really gets better. Um, and by like the second half of the game in particular, when you've got all those altered arts and you can combo like basic arts with 
uh, all every single art in any order, it gets so fun, um, especially with some of those super bosses, which we might touch on. Um, but yeah, the end of Act One kind of draws to a close with uh, Barbos, who is the head of the Blood Alliance, who we've already alluded to. We saw him at Rigo's mansion and. Well, I mean, what a piece of work, I guess, but he does seem kind of undercooked. Like, he, you build him up to be like this massive evil bad guy. And I think this is one general weakness in Vesperia is that it doesn't really do its bad guys any justice at all. It like doesn't really all, yeah. give them doesn't give them any screen time at all. Like Barbos is probably on the screen for less than half an hour, and like you only hear his name halfway through act one and you're chasing after this guy who's got the aquablast here and then all of a sudden it's just this big guy with one arm and he flies through the he throws through the sky <laughs> on this arm the first time that happened i was like going like what and then judy comes along and you know it, it's all gone but um yeah act one i like the end of that one i think it's a good ending point for that particular arc and it's kind of you kind of feel like i i, I like the unusual irony of him recognizing it uh, right before the fight. Hey, that's the Aqua Blast you have been looking <laughs> for, for for this whole time. Is in his sword. <laughs> oh yeah, but um, he does get it back eventually, which is good. And there are some interesting things. I like the way there's a running theme through the game, and that lots of characters who die tell Yuri they're gonna see him in hell in different ways. Like the Don does it as well later on, and Yuri is just like, "Are you kidding? Like, why am I mean Yuri's a." done some bad stuff anyway but yeah um but yeah i like the end of act one kind of but you don't you know it's not going to be the end you feel like it's the end of the arc but it's not the end of the story and pretty quickly into act two uh, dongrest is attacked by a huge flying monster destroys a bridge and calls estelle an insipid poison and that kind of kickstarts the second act which is pretty intense with its kind of themes and it really starts going somewhere and i kind of feel like this is the strongest point of the game is this middle arc in terms of story yeah, and they're done introducing 100%. the world and they're now, they're now ready to sort of work within the world that uh they've built and it's uh hmm. it, it get, it's a lot of good drama estelle's uh <laughs> Uh, indecision on what she wants to do, notwithstanding, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she, she, she's um, not she's not a very good client to work with. <laughs> yeah, I like is uh, like anytime Flynn joins the store. Okay, so like Flynn's walking around in his beautiful night gear. Whenever he joins my party, though, he's wearing a stupid Chopin outfit. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys my civilian clothes are on let's go yeah so whenever you put him in that outfit like he stays in it for the entire time and there's a bit where he comes out of a tent and then yuri goes oh your outfit are you a captain now and i'm just like he's wearing chopin's outfit still i'm just like captain chopin of the, the chopin brigade man like Chopin yeah. Brigade. Exactly. Play music. It's nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, Brave is formed pretty early on, and there's some diversions in Heliord, and this is the first time you meet Jaeger, who we've already alluded to, which is one of the guilds from Darngrest. He heads up Leviathan's Claw, and Jaeger's really unusual, and he feels like he doesn't fit in a lot of the time with his suit. <laughs> He's suited and booted. He's got like a huge a bayonet with a huge knife on the end of it and i'm just and it explodes but they basically do blast illegal blast year dealing and uh weapons dealing uh but yeah uh, i love stuff. a good old german accent by shinji ikari <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, and, and in the you... uh, I, i've been playing the game in japanese mostly because i just yeah. was curious about it and uh, uh jaeger ha throws in a lot of weird english is his uh gimmick yes he, he played there <laughs> Yeah, he does throw in British phrases, doesn't he? Yeah, he um, he, he, he uh, responds to something that uh, Kumor tells him with "of course," which I <laughs> I was I was very amused by. 
<laughs> that makes me hyper conscious because I know I do that all the time as well. But yeah, but yeah, Jaeger does not fit in necessarily, and he kind of comes and goes. Like there are a couple of moments where he is on your side, but he's then against you. And again, he's got relevance, but it's more in side quests. Like he's just working for the big bad, but there is an entire side quest which concludes in the second half of the game, which makes him have like multiple allegiances or plots going on. Yeah. I mean, he's very much a moving piece storyline. Yeah. He's really respectful. Like he really respects the Don, but at the same time recognizes that as Don Whitehorse is head of Altosk and head of Dongrest, he is in his way and he will do anything, but he does it within reason. And so I find him really interesting if undercooked. Um, He pops up a few times, most notably um, at uh, Nordapolica, which is the Colosseum city, which is the third continent where we haven't explored um, as a different person. And I can't believe, I feel like a total idiot for not knowing that Regay is Jaeger, which is literally Jaeger <laughs> spelt backwards. So Ruins Gate is an the, interesting the whole diversion. Reveal actually off to. I, I have to wonder though because is Jaeger Regay really the person who runs both guilds or is Regay a separate person who runs an innocent ruins gate? I'm hoping I can't remember There, I'm sure there is a side quest with this but I'm pretty sure it, uh, I'm pretty sure it answers that it was the same person it was Jaeger Regay but okay, I so- will get into it all right, so so Ruins Gate was not an innocent uh, archaeological operation. They were they were weapons dealers as well, but their weapons dealing arm was Leviathan's Claw. Yeah, and there's a side quest that Rita catches a bunch of them in uh, Shikos ruins, and they're writing their names on the Blastier, and she like sits them down and lectures them about that's not how you treat that's not how you treat Blastier. This is how you treat Blastier, and then you bump into them again in um Nordapolica later on, and. Uh, they're kind of groveling to her because they recognize who she is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Nordopolic is a really fun city and the typical Colosseum city in this game. Um, oh my God, I love the cities in this game. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I like a lot of them too. I really like uh, Don Grest and Nordopolica. I, I think I want to try to at least do some of the later Colosseum quests in this game because I think some of them have pretty good rewards. They do, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah actually... you fight uh, Tales Villains actually, right? Uh, usually, I think, uh, at least yeah, one usually. of them will. I know that the one of the secret dungeons is a Tales villain, or not a villain. Well, yes, a villain, depending on what mm-hmm. option you take in that game. Um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you get to fight. You have to go through the Colosseum. Uh, you go to meet the Duce of Palastrale, which is Bellius, um, on the Duke's request, which is why Raven's with you at this point. Um, but you can't meet her until there's a full moon, so you have to come back. But you get embroiled in this idea that Nordopolica is going to be overthrown by some evil person. So Yuri enters the Colosseum and fights Flynn at the end of it in a very cool, very cutscene heavy fight where you have to survive for a while. Um, Is there any reason for the for the full moon thing? Um I think it's to do with the fact that okay, so maybe we should go into the most what I feel is the most tales of word ever. Enter Lakea, spelt with an X, because of course um, that has more vowels than consonants. Oh my god. More vowels than consonants. And an X. Which is, yeah. Um, like Intellexia or something like that, right? Phonetically? Yes. Yeah, that's how you'd, um, yes, but that's how it's spelt. Um, but yeah, I think it's to do with the fact that she is a Entelechaea, but I, they never really address it. Again, it might be something I need to dig into. Um, and the Entelechaea were the dragon-like monsters that uh, the humans of the world had a war against ten years ago. But some yeah, the humans? 
But some, yeah, or I, I think it was the Empire and Guilds working together or something. But it was damn it, Empire. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but some Entelikea were allies with the humans and helped each other, and and uh, some humans in Entelikea have lifelong friendships. But the Entelikea are ancient and built a lot of the ruins that you're exploring, including the original Nordopolica Coliseum. So yeah. like, it's. It, it's crazy. They they get deeper into the Entelikea mythology in the in later parts of the game, but but th I think the gist of it is is that they're a, an ancient race of dragon-like powerful things. They are in intelligent and can speak. And when they die, they form a crystal called Apatheia, and Apatheia have a lot of super magical properties. <laughs> Extremely relevant. Yeah, they can take different forms as well. So there's a couple of dragons. Bellius is like a fox, um, kind of. Like a fox. Uh, it's a bit of everything. Like every mammal you can think of. That's Bellius. Oh, what are those creatures that are half horse and half human? Centaur. Yeah, just like a fox centaur. Pretty the, much. The one that you met in uh, Care Bakram almost looked like a like a rhino or an elephant. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, Gusios, um, who turns up later, as we said. Um, and then you've got Pharaoh as well, who is a bird. Um, but there are a couple of different ones, and you get to meet a few of them over the course of the game. Again, more in the second half. But yeah, Bellius is really cool. Um, and uh, Ruin's Gate, or Leviathan's Claw, or Jaeger, or Regay, or whoever, has put Flynn and Yuri against each other deliberately. Turns damn into it, a Jaeger! I, damn it, everybody. Um, damn it, everybody. Damn it, everybody in this game. Um, but, yeah, so then you have to leave. Um, a monster's breakout, and I think the Hunting Blades eventually get involved, and we'll get to that section. Um, so you end up going to the desert because your main reason you've come to the continent is to meet Pharaoh because that is what Estelle really, really wants to do. Apparently, that's what she's convinced Estelle herself. Estelle is to do. poison. She's mm -hmm. this nice, pretty little princess, and she is the death bringer. Apparently, <laughs> they do hint at it later would, on. Why would she do that? Look at her. You can judge a book by her cover, and she would probably like that book. Like that's I, I, I don't think is. that's how the expression her. goes. <laughs> I do love her bookish nature, though. She can literally recite anything, and it's just... I do like the little enduring. detail that text boxes go square when she starts uh, paraphrasing yeah! the book. I love Dude. that. She yeah. <laughs> um, but then you go for the wee's end of Kados. Patty turns up again. She permanently joins you at this... Uh, she permanently joins you very shortly afterwards. Um, so then you get to Mantake, where you find out that this town is overtaken by knights... Um, and you don't think that they're going to be on that continent, although Flynn's already shown up once. Uh, and then you go to the Sands of Kogor. I hate the Sands of Kogor. Like, I hate this place so it, much. It was maybe my least favorite part of the game, other than fighting uh, <sighs> uh, um, Gatsuo or Gatuso. Yeah, it's so painful. It wasn't too bad this time around, but it's just... I hate why do RPGs do terrible desert dungeons? Like it's not the they worst. They do it on purpose now. Like it's just like <laughs> yeah, they do. Here's so a desert. Here's a sewer. Go so the move bricks around. They, so the or they do the Diablo three move where they have the desert and the sewer in the same place, and they both. Maybe. <laughs> wow. Why you, not? You take the sewer to go from the desert to a different desert. I wish I was. That's I wish I was kidding. <laughs> Backtracking slightly, how funny is it that the additional mandatory dungeon in Vesperia is a sewer? Like, oh my god, yeah, that, and literally what happened in the old game was you just literally walked to the other side of town, and that was it. But this time they threw in a dungeon that is sewer. It's fortunately not too painful. I did it's, get lost about twice, but it was still done pretty quick. 
Yeah, it's pretty sure, isn't it? And the yeah. mechanics of it aren't too bad. But yeah, the main gimmick here in the Sands of Kogor is that the place turns to day and night and you have a water meter and you have to keep refilling them. And those cacti do not fill up your water gauge at all, apart from the really big ones. And if you get into a fight with fire monsters, your water drains more. And if you get into a really? fight with... Yeah. I and if you even notice. If you get into a fight in the evening, it either goes down a little bit less or you actually gain a little bit back. I think it's the cacti monsters that are the best ones to fight um but they're annoying because oh they can paralyze you all the time yes like, they can they and, are and, and, they, and they have uh, just like they spit spines out all the time that are hard to block yeah i think i only one. had one paralysis charm and it only reduces the chances by 50 percent it, it, it was not to start a fight in this game without having the enemy attack you first <laughs> Um, um, if you hit him with the sorcerer's, so if you hit him with the sorcerer's ring, sometimes it'll stun them, and then you can go into the f attack mm -hmm. having the enemy stunned. But that doesn't work yeah. all the time. Sometimes it'll just make the enemy stun on the map, and you can avoid them. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, like the Santa Cobra are really annoying because there are a couple of really good treasure chests, and I always miss one or two of them that have really good weapons in I'm them. I'm sure I missed some, but but forget yeah. it. I'm, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> don't worry. You don't have to, which is really nice. I like the way that they add that in every time you go back to um that continent. Um, but at the end of it, you well, you have to find some kids' parents, which you come across, and Patty's digging around in the sand for a pirate treasure, and then you get attacked by some weird space manta ray, which like what on earth is that? And then you are taken yeah, to it, it, it looked like one of those alien Pokemon from Sun Moon. <laughs> it does an ultra beast. Yeah. The, the ultra beast of Vesperia. Um but then you get taken to a place called Yorngun. And actually I skipped over a little bit with um the Atherum, which is the pirate ship. One on the Atherum oh, right. pick up you pick up a box which is called cool, which has a clear CL crystal in it and it's got there's a diary next to it that says meet take this back to I can't remember her name and it's written UA, like UA, fan, years UA ago. fan in your UA fan. Yeah, you sorry, yeah, yeah, UA and fan in Yorkin. She wanted light or something. It's like, oh dear. Yeah. And then you that attracts the monsters at Nordopolica, and then you have to take this box back to Yormgun. This is another thing that Estelle wants you to do. Take a box to someone five hundred years ago in the past, <laughs> and somehow you end up in Yormgun. Five or where, like with this person called UA fan, and everyone's really confused because they know the date in the diary, and this person's there, and they're like, "Oh, I wanted the box. I've been waiting for this for ages." And nobody thinks like, "Why are they still here?" They're like, "Well, this didn't happen yesterday." But Yongwen's a really strange diversion, and actually feels really nostalgic because it looks like one of the desert towns in Tales of Symphonia. It reminds me of the Desert Trail, and it's really cute. And then you go into this building. I just kind of want to take this moment to say I love the like both you know town world design and the music. It's very pleasant. It's really lovely. I love chilling in Yormgen, and I kind of get it's a bit sort of sad. like a nice kind of blurry filter too. That kind of makes everything just look like it's out of a cartoon too. So yeah, well, I mean, it looks soft and nice, and the colors are vivid, and every yeah. place feels cozy. Yeah, the, yeah. The towns in this game have a really good design, and you and Yormgen is so pleasant and sort of pastoral it almost feels like the first town of uh of, of some rpgs mm -hmm. yeah it is really really nice um so this place doesn't have a blast here which again raises issues and everyone's concerned about it but yeah you, they you don't know what a blast here is exactly they don't know blast and it's like um but you take the um crystal to the house which um at the end of the village which um is supposed to be some kind of sage and it turns out to be duke who takes the crystal off you tells you what it is 
and then destroys it. And then you're like, but then he comes out. And this is where all the plot revelations start to kind of come to the head. So Raven's been off. And then Duke tells you that um, Estelle is something called the child of the full moon. I don't understand what that is still. um, So I think it's alluded to more in the second half of the game, but basically they came about um, they're basically the pre-Harbingers to the royal family. So everyone in the royal family has Child of the Full Moon blood. Um, mm. Estelle's is just particularly powerful, but they are the people who sealed away the real big, big, big bad. And Yeah, the yeah. like uh, the Act 3 bad. Yeah, the Act 3 not physical is, bad. Isn't that good? Why do the why do the intellectsia hate them? Because their power um, Estelle's magic uses this again, this is more second half of the game, but Estelle's healing magic doesn't require a blastia, but her formula, because everything that uses air oh, requires yeah, a formula, formula, it's extremely it take it consumes a lot of air. And um that is putting a strain on the world environmentally. Oh. So yeah, um, which is why a lot blastia, of stuff Blastia are already putting a strain on the environmental world, which is uh yeah. which is why Judith was going around destroying them. But Correct. uh but Estelle is an even more extreme version of a power of a powerful Blastia in terms of how much uh, strain it does, and um, uh, and and I think and and Duke is also motivated to protect the world, and I think that uh, power large Apatheia can also create a reaction that does an extreme amount of drain, which is why he smashed that one, and why mm-hmm. uh, why Estelle, who was holding uh, the Apatheia of the leader of Nordopolica, it reacted with the um, Blastia on their boat. And yes. It was, and it, it reacted so violently and made it start to run so powerfully that Judith, who normally would let it slide if, if she was you know, going on a boat powered by Blastia, <laughs> um, immediately destroyed the boat's Blastia and left. Yeah, and then wait, that's wait, when wait. Rita finds out. Yeah, that's, that's how she outed <laughs> herself. I do like some of the more to... comedic cutscenes where like Judith will just walk off when she hears there's a blast <laughs> around. That's like innocuously runs off. Yeah, and, and she and, normally and then you just hear the commotion. She doesn't go around destroying every single blastia when she's with your party. She's like, okay, I, it's it's to my benefit that they don't know I'm the dragon rider, so I'm not gonna go and smash every blastia I see. Like she didn't try to destroy the boat's blastia. The first when, time. Like the yeah. first time. Um, but yeah, uh, but but yeah, it, it was too much seeing uh, the bl- the boat Blastia react to the Apatheia, and oh my god, the past five minutes I've used so many made up words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. No, um, there's a reason that she's going around destroying Blastia, and there are particular Blastia she is going around and destroying anyway, which is what we find out at Mount Temza, which we'll cover probably next episode. But um. Yeah, since we've alluded to it, um, after Jormgen, you go back through the desert, you can go on the world map now, it's just fine. You go back to Mantake and you find out that Kumor, who was the uh, wonderful, fun villain of... Um, oh God, yeah, I've been complimenting the, the designs up until this point. It not stops him. with him. <laughs> Definitely not him. And it's the return of Dist as well, which I can't take seriously. Like, his voice actor is exactly the Wait, same. The, the Japanese or English language one? English, yeah. Okay. It's the same voice actor. Um, but not as good as Dist. Um, but, um, yeah, Kumor is a real piece of work again, and he gets what he deserves. Oh, boy. Like, hey, hey, uh, Yuri didn't do anything. Yuri didn't kill Kumor. He just walked him uh, He just walked him <laughs> to the edge of some quicksand. That's exactly what he, Flynn thinks. He just walked. <laughs> exactly. Yuri's um, innocent. 
Yuri is entirely innocent, but I mean, Flynn watches it and sees it, and he's not impressed. Um, and no. one of the one nice things about the game is that um, Flynn takes a lot of credit, like gets ends up getting a lot of credit, so yeah. he gets the credit for liberating the town. But like he acknowledges it, and it's again a point later on in the game. Like Flynn is well aware that it's not him doing all this stuff, and he's like, "No, Yuri, take the credit." And Yuri's like, "No, I don't want to." Um, but he has this long discussion with Yuri by the Oasis. Um, and Estelle overhears and finds out that Yuri has been killing all of these people. And so she just kind of accepts it and moves on. But the rest of the team don't quite find out just yet. They don't. It's not long. Like, they find out, I think, on the boat. Um, and I think it's... Uh, who is it that says it? Oh, I can't remember. But, yeah, they're, they're, when they're leaving the continent, um, everybody finds out what Yuri's done and... A lot of stuff happens. But returning back to Nordopolica, it's the full moon. We go and see Bellius and we find out she's an Entelikea. Then the hunting blades turn up. My god, do the hunting blades never know when to give up? And <laughs> the boss fight that happens occurs when Estelle um Bellius is heavily injured by Tyson, who's the leader of the hunting blades, and Estelle goes to heal her. That causes another reaction for two different formulas against each other. And Bellius goes crazy, and the only way to stop her is by killing her and turning her into an apathea. And it's a pretty sad moment. Um, yeah. All instigated by the Don's grandson by accident, because they he gets a wind that uh, Bellius has an apathea, so uses the hunting blades. I'm assuming he finds out he's, she's an Entelikea, because there's no way he'd get the hunting blades involved otherwise. And, but... and I, th I think the knights fed him that information, because yes. when, the, when they started to move, the knights put a blockade up so no one else could get in or out of Nordopolica, probably so the guild people could would be uninterrupted. Unfortunately, our heroes are great interrupters. <laughs> well, I mean... So, yeah, you've actually made me skip over a really important point, which I never noticed on my first playthrough. <laughs> Raven saying attention to like yeah. the two um Schwarm yep. Brigade knights. I never picked up on it. And now every time I'm like, why? Why did I not notice this really important bit where all of a sudden these random strangers are listening to he someone? He shows up in Kerr Bagram in his orange, but you just don't see his face. And again, mm. I never, never really put two and two together. But I think it's yeah. cool. His yeah, 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 yeah. You see... Uh, um... Oh, I don't want to go into this <laughs> until the second half of the episode, but <laughs> but uh, there are some faceless versions of uh, watch for the orange and gold armor. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they added some of those in for the definitive edition as well, because I don't remember it being as heavily alluded to in the original Xbox 360 version. But I'm sure. I was like... I was it was a big surprise to me in the in the Xbox 360 version. <sighs> oh yeah. When you learn when you see the guy when you fight the guy in orange and gold armor. It is one of my favorite bits of the game, and I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but yeah, so that bit really surprised me in the Wizand of Cardos. Um, but yeah, Bellius's death is really horrible. And this is the first time as well that you're getting a sense because Yuri's just become captain of the Flynn Brigade. And now Yuri's suspicious because he's doing things that are un Flynn like, which, if that's not a like romance thing that you understand so much, then I have no idea what it is. But like, him and he just gets like he knows Flynn inside out and he knows something's wrong. And this is the first incidence that Alexei's name's kind of redropped into the conversation. And you think, why is he taking orders from the commandant? Why does the commandant want apathea and things like that? And yeah, things just kind of go like spiral from here onwards. And the last thing that happens is we somehow get like sidelined off to the manner of the wicked, which is Leviathan's Claws hideout. 
I think for to chase after the Don, because Bellius's dying wish was to take the Apatheia, her Apatheia, back to the Don, who's her best friend. And you end up going to the Manor of the Wicked because he's not in Dongrest. And this is where Jaeger kind of like balance like switches between good and evil here because he's fighting the Don, but at the same time he's showing some kind of respect because I don't know. He's just a strange character who I never really grasp and I find really interesting. But like he comes he comes up at the end of this section anyway. Um, His plot relevance is kind of weird too. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah, he is. Um, But then you go to the Manor of the Wicked, you go to fight Jaeger, you don't fight anything there, you fight some enemies but not a boss, and the Don is there trying to exact revenge on Jaeger, I think for betraying the um, Union, um, because they find out about his um, collusions with the Knights. Um, But yeah, and you go back to Dongress because Palastrale have found out that... um, the grandson of the Don is responsible for Bellius's death and wants something in return. Damn it, and, Harry. Yeah, and the Don puts himself and his head up for it. And it's... I cried. Oh my god. I knew it was happening, like, this time. But I was so sad. It's one of the hardest moments, I think, to take in because it's the first death, really, that Yuri feels powerlessly. Like, he chose to kill um, Rigaud and Kumor because it was good for justice. But like, he's the second for the Don and he hates every second of it, but he takes, he doesn't hesitate again. This is one of those moments he like regrets, but doesn't hesitate and kind of shows his maturity. And the Don is just such a good character. I wish there was more of him, but alas, he is a sacrifice for what he thinks is justice, I suppose. <sighs> <laughs> That's a well, lot of yeah, story. It's yeah. a lot of story happening at once, and it just it wraps a few of its ends a little bit too clean. But there is a lot of plot, and for the most part, it does mm. really good with a lot with uh, many it, it of the elements. It feels like the uh, the the sands of Kagor are like the worst, most annoying part of the game. But right when you fi- right after those, it's just nonstop drama for like mm-hmm. five hours. Because, well, yeah, like, we've we not got like, smoothie at the moment yeah. either. <laughs> without much of a break so it's yeah um i'm really excited to play more i'm i uh i am right before don dies in the game uh but i'm, I'm gonna be i think i want to play this right after we're done recording i i, my, <laughs> I, I can't do steph's thing because i keep my ps4 in a different room of the house yeah a lot happens afterwards as well so we've kind of left it with the Don's death, all um, all Tosk and the Union trying to rebuild themselves and in a bit of a state, to be honest. Uh, Raven, though, is allowed to like jolt around the world and do whatever he wants, so he carries on with you. Um, but we're going to Mount Temza, and that is where I'm going to call it there, I think, because the, everything from here onwards is kind of crazier. Like You find out a lot about what's going on with the world, you find out more about the villains, and then there's the whole of Act 3 to go on about, which is an entirely different um fish of its own but um yeah i think that's probably about it if there's anything anybody else wants to say then i don't know go for it (laughs) i mean i'm excited to dig in i'm full confession this is the second time i've played this in two months or a month so i know what's happening pretty fresh but like i'm trying to do all the side quests so (laughs) this is my first time playing it in about i think seven or eight years and I, I said this at the beginning of the podcast, I think, but I uh, I don't remember every plot detail and character detail of the game, so I'm not even sure. Sh- a lot of the time I'm probably experiencing PS3 content and not realizing it. But mm-hmm. I, like, as I play it, I'm reminded how much I, why I liked it so much the first time, and I'm surprised by things that 
I've forgotten, and the surprises feel good. This is a cool RPG world, a cool RPG plot. It is tales as hell, anime as hell, but I am really, <laughs> really enjoying it. I'm a. Uh, this isn't going to be one that I lose interest in and maybe don't finish for the podcast. This is one that I, I'm going to be wanting to get to right after I finish work every day. <laughs> I hope so, because Act Three is a bit of a downer for me. But we'll. I'll we'll last through it just just to, just after to get shiny skills else, and weapons. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, everything gets a bit crazy from here, and we end on a really crazy note anyway, and a bit of a downer, but. That is it for this week's episode. Join us next week for more Tales of Vesperia. Uh, We'll be digging into the second half of Act 2 and Act 3, as well as some of the side quests and some of the secret dungeons, the missions, all sorts of things. So please come back to that. And please come find out if Rastel or Fleury are canon, because that is what I find really important. Um, In terms of other... They're more more interesting than than where the game pushes you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well Rastel's really cute I just love their relationship and I love how it blossoms and like there are, there is a skit that is very explicitly like are you two in love kind of thing so yeah it's hidden away um, but no next um, for March Retro Encounter is going back way further we're going right back to the Super Nintendo for the first time in a while um, we're going to Lufia 2 Rise of the Sinistrals which is I think it's the first Super Nintendo game we've done since Super Mario RPG, so nearly a year, which is really impressive. But yeah, I'm excited to hear about that. It's something I've never played before. I know we've got some big fans of that game on the podcast, so please look forward to that. And I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this yet, uh, we do have a spoiler cast coming your way at some point. Um, Yes, there is a recent video game that a lot of people on RPG fan like, and I, um, we are going to have a spoiler cast come up as soon as we have enough people uh, complete it to record an episode. Yeah, Peter around the bush what game it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people can yeah. figure it out. I'm not going to give any clues. The game with lights and hearts and darkness and uh, <laughs> X's. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to be on those that, that episode. Um, I'm about halfway through it, just over. So by the time you are listening to this, I've probably finished it and probably recorded it. I have no idea. But yeah, a uh, couple of big Kingdom Hearts fans, which is hey, there you go. I just slipped out. <laughs> just slipped out. Um, yeah, a couple of big fans of that game are going to be on the Kingdom Hearts three spoiler comp. So please look forward to that one. The rest of the month isn't quite planned out yet, I believe, but we've got some exciting stuff in the works for the coming months anyway. So please just always tune in to us listen to us um if you do want to get in contact or make any suggestions for episodes though please email us at retro at rpgfan.com no please don't email us asking to play kingdom hearts again but you can ask us to play kingdom hearts too if you really want um along with other suggestions feedback anything like that uh, mike's the person on the end of the keyboard so if you get a reply um it will be from him um also rpg fan is full of content every day we have forums we're on facebook twitter instagram discord you'll literally find us anywhere um we've got so much stuff going on every day we have fun fan questions on facebook we have reviews three or four a week we have news items really fun features kickstarters twitch stuff streaming every day so please come and visit the front page because we're all really lovely friendly people and everyone does such awesome jobs uh we also have two other podcasts random encounter which is being headed up by greg delmage now so that's going to be a lot of fun to tune into uh, all about current events news items and all sorts so please come and listen to those we also have rhythm encounter which is coming back at some point i swear i promise to all of you listening you don't need to keep crying after it because it is in the works 
and we will bring episodes to you whenever we can. But it is on the cards, I promise. It is not oh. dead, but I we we cannot give any information as to when it will be alive again. Correct. Um, but anyway, if you want to listen to Retro Encounter specifically, please go to your normal podcasting listening channels on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you go, really. We love your feedback. Please give us reviews. Please subscribe to us as well, because if you subscribe to either our podcasts, you get our names out there, and that is really good, and we would love more listeners. We love what we do. We want to spread... But we, we have a lot of fun recording these, and we know the people who listen to them have a lot of fun listening to them and just really indulging in our fun conversations about what we love and hate about RPGs and everything so please subscribe to us if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes it would do us so many favors um but otherwise if you want to get in contact with us directly where is the best place to find us so mike where can we find you the easiest place is probably twitter i'm at the real monsoon and at evoker for dogs one one is my main one is my alt and i am also Monsoon Mike on Discord, Monsoon on the forums, and Mike Solosi in real life. <laughs> Just in case you come up to his door and are like, yeah. hey, you do that podcast I really like. Yeah. <laughs> What's my name? <laughs> Evoker. Uh, Evoker. You're goddamn right. <laughs> I mean, is Evoker like your Entelikea name and your real name is like Monsoon? I don't know. Uh, oh, I don't know. I have not put that much, th- <laughs> that much thought into it at all. Oh, and Steph, where can we find you? Uh, you can usually find me. I'm the one responding to you on social media, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but you can also find me personally uh, on Twitter at Dice, uh, D-I-C-E, Dice S-M-S. Yeah, and uh, Steph does a lot, mo- all of the Instagram stuff as well, so she has some really fun videos on there. Yeah, really check cool out her Instagram, features. it's really nice. I yeah. It. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if uh, listeners want to reach out to me directly, the best place again is probably Twitter. I am at Alana Hagues. Um, I am on the RPG Fan Discord at Diving Falcons. If you want to email me, if you really feel like it, if you want to find out about reviews or anything I specifically do, or just want to talk about my opinions on Retro Encounter, that is H at RPGFan.com. Uh, but that about does it. So do justice and punish the unjust we will next week. And please join the Retro Encounter Guild for the next episode of Tales of Asperia. Thank you. Good night. And good luck. Oof.